if they need an advocate, I would like to be able to do that. I'd like to be knowledgeable enough to do that for someone. Right. And I think that's more important. If I if I understand their story well enough, then I know where they are, they are in their progress. Hello and welcome to Why Button, the podcast that asks why we care about video games. I'm your host, Kyle Starr. On this show, I interview creators, enthusiasts, journalists, and media personalities about their origins with video games, what keeps them so interested in the medium, and what excites them about the future. On this episode, I chat with Naoko Takamoto, principal producer at Double Fine. Naoko and I cover a wide range of topics, from the role of a producer, to having a film crew document years of your professional life, to a pandemic upending your workflow, and ultimately, the new concepts video games can provide. I'd known Naoko prior to watching Double Fine's Psych Odyssey documentary, so it was a thrill to watch her on screen and catch up with her after the fact. If you haven't seen the documentary yet, I can't recommend it enough. It's available for free on YouTube. If you have seen it, I hope this interview provides a bit more context into Naoko's role and the larger role of producers, as well as insight into the creative process of making games. Naoko Takamoto, welcome to Why Button. I am thrilled to have you on the show. We we have uh, gone back and forth a little bit in the past about um, your goings on and what you what you currently do and, and are up to. But um, the fact that you said yes to, to chatting about your uh, relationship and history and and uh, the future of games uh, is is exciting to me. For folks who don't know you, do you, do you mind introducing yourself a bit? Tell us a little bit about who you are. Sure. Hi. Thank you for having me. I'm Naoko. I'm a principal producer at Double Fine Productions, and uh, I always never know where to go from there. <laughs> I was <Whoa>. the lead. <laughs> I was the lead producer on Psychonauts too. Uh, just, I've uh, been working in games for about twenty years now. That's a long time. Like I remember, like saying, like, "Oh, I've been working in games for like ten years." Been like, "Yeah, that's so long." And then one day I blinked, and then I was saying fifteen, and now I'm saying twenty. And yeah, I don't, I don't like it. I'm remi- all my like favorite albums from high school are turning twenty right now, and I'm like, "This has to stop." My daughter's <laughs> turning one next week, and I'm like, "Wait, that was a whole year. A whole year went by just now." Yeah, I watched that happen. Like, what's going on? Like, and as a producer, I shouldn't have this much trouble with the passage of time, but I find myself struggling with it. <laughs> Indeed. I, I, I'll just ask a question up at the top there. What What is a principal producer? I, I mean, I'm going to need to know what a producer is as well. I think there's probably a good chunk of the, the audience that listens to the show who's just curious about working in games and whatnot. So um, could, uh, could you um, tell me a bit about what a producer is and does and what makes the difference between a producer and a principal producer and maybe a senior producer or all the, all the same things? Like what, what's the world of production look like? Uh, so, okay. So principal producer is like senior past senior producer, producer, elder, super like old. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. the, producer, the other producers come to, to ask for advice. Yeah, maybe. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I get asked what a producer is all the time just because it's so different depending on the industry and it's so different company to company, like between game studios even. And that does make it difficult when I work with new people who are very different or especially if they have bad experiences with producers from different companies that are run differently and their producers do very different things, right? And for... For me, the trick has been like, I just kind of read the room and figure out what I'm supposed to do from there. (laughs) (laughs) 
it is really like a support service kind of a position. And sure. my ultimate purpose is just to make sure everyone can work together and we can all make this game and put it out one day, usually on a specific day, but one day. <laughs> so you're sort of like playing MC and peacekeeper and like organizer all at once. Is this sort of kind of what what's going on? Yeah. I mean, I don't have to do a lot of peacekeeping, thankfully, but yeah, it's kind of just, it's sidekick stuff, <laughs> sidekick mm. to project leads or other leads. The way I'm, I'm sort of interpreting this too, I've been watching the Double Fine documentary like uh, a lot of other people are right now. And I, because we had talked before that, I think it, we, we talked a while ago before that even came out. And now seeing you on screen, I'm like, oh my God, I know her. Uh, that's amazing. <laughs> um, so whenever you're on, I'm like, I'm watching you very intently. I'm like, what is she doing? What What is, what's the, the art here? What oh, is, no, what how am is I she? Doing? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what, what is she not doing? But no, it's, I think there is an element of, you know, at least from my observation of like, I don't want to say herding cats, but like keeping the ducks in a row, like making sure everything is, is going to plan or you're going to leave this meeting with some kind of plan um, that you're cutting things that, you know, there are a lot of hard calls or hard decisions and you are sort of um, shepherding folks to those decisions. You're not necessarily making the decisions, but you're sort of putting it out there and saying, Hey, this is what needs to happen. Happen. We need to come to a consensus before we get out of here, just so we have, we can continue to hit our targets, hit our timelines and whatnot. This is like what the timeline, the, the timeline that we do have. And these are the options we have to, to get there, right? That's, that's what I should be doing. Yes. Um, <laughs> I, I'm really talking myself up really good. I, I know. Um, well, so, okay. I don't know how it's so weird. The doc. I'm going to run this by Tim. <laughs> no, he'll he'll be him, like, yeah. this is your performance review. Yeah. We're actually doing performance reviews right now. So just bundle this up, send it to my director. Perfect. I get the documentary is so funny because I keep forgetting that that's something that like other people can see, you know? And like, yeah. while they're there, I'm like, right. It's, you know, they're there. So, you know, don't make a complete ass out of yourself. But then sometimes you just forget that they're there because they're there all the time, you know? But a lot of meetings, like, I just don't say anything. In meetings, I'm just in the corner and I'm like, for most meetings, I'm just taking notes. And it's a lot of listening and also like trying to figure out what it is that people aren't saying or what it is that people are really asking for, like trying to actually listen to what's happening. And sometimes we don't get to, all right, this is the plan. These are the things that we need to do. There are a lot of meetings that like, there's so much to talk about, especially in Psychonauts. There are so many things going on at once and the meetings would have like several people in them, like sometimes too many people, but um, it's the time where everyone's together and that's when you have the conversation and sometimes you don't get as far into like what are the next steps that's the goal but sometimes you don't get there so as long as I have next steps <laughs> it's kind of like all right I think these people got to talk about this part but I'm not sure that like we paid enough attention to this group of people or this person who was here so what do I do to follow up or maybe you know sometimes there's just we write down a lot of things there are a lot of materials that go around and like everyone's pretty good about keeping up and reading you know reading what's going on but sometimes they're not 
on. And sometimes just based on what people are saying, I'm like, oh, maybe this person didn't have access to this information or that. What I'm, I'm just trying to piece together what's happening usually at meetings. Sure. And I don't, no, that's I don't know if that's like a backwards way to do it. But um, yeah, sometimes I think like there are meetings where you just have to be like, all right, what's happening? What's next? And let's just, you know, let's keep it moving. Let's move forward. But a lot of the times in the meeting, in meetings, I've noticed I'm just like, oh, we're not where we want to be. And it's not even work-wise. It's just conversation. And we're telling, we all have different stories. Yeah. And we're not on the same story yet. I think that's important. You said something in there that, that reminded me of, there's a lot of times where I'll kick off a meeting or try to facilitate something and say, you know, I may not be actively participating. I'm more there to kind of set the stage and let others converse and talk, but I am observing the whole time and trying to see who is speaking, who is the loudest voice in the room, who is not getting an opportunity to speak, or maybe is unsure or doesn't feel safe speaking in this in this venue, or, you know, doesn't feel like they have an avenue to, to actually say what it is they want. I'll be very like cognizant of like people coming on and off mute, but not actually like speaking up in a meeting. Mm-hmm. And that's like in, like signals and indicators that this fo- this person wants to actually, you know, contribute and say something here. Like you said, it's sort of seeing in between uh, the conversation, reading between the lines or what is being unsaid here. And that, that maybe needs to come out and maybe somebody else has a perspective. And like you said, provide that support, make those bridge, those connections, make sure those, those two members are, uh, um, have what they need to move forward. It's um you mentioned the who like mutes and unmutes and mutes and stuff. And that is actually like with working remotely, that is one of the things that got easier. Like instead of being yeah. like in a room with people, because I can't have eyes on everybody, right? But now I can. It's harder to read the room and just like the air in the room and stuff like that. But I'm just like, oh, I saw that mic. I, I saw it flash and I'm just like, well, what, what did they want? Oh, no. And sometimes it'll be somebody who like doesn't have their camera on. And I'm just like, I need to see your face right now, but it's fine. <laughs> but that is definitely like an added, added like element to meetings now that I didn't have before. When you, I want to come back to that in a second, but is, it was uh, Psychonauts 2 your first um, Double Fine game? It was, it was. I joined in 2018. So pre-pandemic, mm-hmm. you're working in the office with everybody up in San Francisco, mm-hmm. and you have this opportunity to be in the room with everybody to understand, see, see faces and, and work that way. And then remote work happens. And this is where I have not gotten to in the documentary. So you're going to be spoiling things for me. But um, by the time this is out, hopefully I've seen it all. But w- what was that transition like as a producer and for you and continues to be? Because I believe you have relocated away from the office as well. You are fully remote. Is that yeah, correct? I moved... I move far. I'm in New York now. <laughs> Deuces I'm out. Um, yeah. It was weird. And I have to imagine that my my experience wasn't extremely unique, you know, because a lot of us and, and the friends who I was talking to, like, it was, we all went home thinking it was going to be temporary. Oh, yeah. You know? So I know. We thought it was people, a couple of weeks, right? Yeah. And we we're just like, oh, well, just, you know, the, I knew people who worked at studios. They were just like, oh, we're just going to start now instead of next week, just to make sure that, you know, all of our stuff is working and we can work at home. And then we'll see you guys next week. You know, we'll come in the office. It'll be, it'll blow over. It's fine. And then it just never did. Right. So I think, um, you know, I can't imagine anyone from the beginning. Well, maybe, you know, I mean, but nobody to me was just like, nah, this is going to, this is how it is now yeah. forever. You know, no, no, no one thought that. So, I mean, for us, it was the timing as far as where it was in the project was there's no good time for this. 
<laughs> There's never a good time for a pandemic. No. Don't you know that? No. <laughs> so, but it was, um, thank God it was after the Microsoft acquisition. I don't know how we would have survived that otherwise. I don't know very much about Double Fine's finances, but sure, you don't have pretty, to go into it. <laughs> pretty sure that that helped. And we, it was nice that, you know, the company wasn't like, can't miss any deadlines. We have to keep going. You know, it, it was nice that every, everyone was just like, Hey, okay, this is weird. We're all uncomfortable. We don't know how this works. And so like, the milestone that we had, we we're just like, we're just going to have another one and not add any goals. You know, we're just like, we're just, let's just get our bearings. It's okay. You know, and what happens to the schedule is what happens. Like we can't like on top of everything else, we're just like, you need another two months. Let's do another two months on this, you know? And cause right. a lot of people also get, got, you know, hit in ways they didn't expect with like childcare, for example. Oh my God. Yes. You know? And, uh, so Double Fine was very kind to us. I mean, it would have been unacceptable for them not to be. But, you know, the point it was in the in the schedule, we thought we we had to ship very soon. Like in the documentary, you, you, you see, we miss a few milestones. We miss a few deadlines. And it's not because it's not for any one reason, you know, right. uh, stuff happens. And... So it was nice to have like a little forgiveness when that happened too, because we just didn't know how we were going to deal with everything and just keep the momentum going. So yeah. Yeah. As a, as a producer now, like going back to like looking at a microphone on a screen and seeing when people coming on and off, like how have you had to adapt to that work style? I wish I had a really good answer for that. Um, that's my thought for every single question you're going to ask me, but that's fine. Uh, we'll find an answer. Let's go. I well, It was so long ago. I feel like it just happened. And it was also so long ago. I don't remember the transitioning sure. of it as much. I just like, I remember at first being like, wow, I'm spending a lot of time in this apartment and this would not have been the apartment that I chose to move into. Had I known this was, I would have picked a nicer place, but <laughs> I did not miss the commute. Of course. That right away. I was just like, that's, that's okay. And then I was just like, that was the only upside for a really long time. And I was just like, I do miss everybody. And we did like try and figure out ways to, you know, to still see each other, to still talk to each other and things like that. And luckily, um, it's a really Slack heavy company. Like we don't really communicate through emails. Everything is through Slack. So like I'd be in the office and talking to somebody who's sitting next to me on Slack. So like a lot of that stuff like transferred mm. very well. You sure. Know? So You're they there. Yeah. They're just in this square anyways. So it worked out that that actually got to be consistent, which I think actually did help me out a little bit more. But, you know, mm -hmm. we're trying out new things, you know, we're like Zoom was new and we're like, oh, my God, you can choose your background. And I'm just like, it is like the important thing. <laughs> yeah, it's like 2020. And I'm just like, really, this is still where we are. <laughs> we're just um, but, you know, having anything that was fun like that, like meant a lot, you know, right. it, it's just like any any little piece of joy was, you know, I was, we were going to hold on to that as much as we could, because otherwise it's terrifying outside and work we're just like what's going to happen to our project 
it was a lot. Of, it was we were very fortunate that Double Fine and Microsoft were like not in our face. Like, where is it still? Why aren't you pretending like this wasn't happening? It was just like, no, let's let's just figure out what's going on here. That's and great. Make sure yeah. everybody's okay. That's awesome. In your line of work and what you do, did you find it difficult to like, you know, you can't just walk over to somebody. I mean, you said you were slacking, you know, you already had like a slack culture, but did you find it difficult not to be able to just like walk over to somebody and say, Hey, let's look at the schedule real quick. Let's make sure everything's aligned here. Or, you know, being again, being in those meetings, did you find that challenging when you have a meeting, everybody's there. Great. We're, we're chatting on zoom or whatever it is you're using and then close the meeting. And now you're alone and focused on what it is you're doing as a producer. Was that something that was detrimental or beneficial? I mean, yeah, like I wasn't even going up to people's desks and all that stuff being like, I, you know, I, I did being like, Hey, let's look at your schedule and stuff like, obviously. Right. But at the same time, like more of my time would just be like walking around and cause I like talking to somebody or cause I like seeing what they're doing. I just like go and just be near a person until they broke and started talking to me. I'm like, hello. Nice. Um, Here she comes again. I'm going to have to talk. No. I know. I'm just like, hi, hi, I'm, I'm lost. Please help me. But, you know, and I miss like going to lunch with people and like, I'm not even the most social person like in the world, but like having, and you know, I'm on the introverted side and I would come home and be like, exhausted from talking to people all day in the moment while I'm doing it. It's easy. It's fun. I'm having a great time. But then like, as soon as I finish, I'm like, Oh, okay. I need to not do anything for a while. But so like, it was weird because working from home now, I didn't, I didn't have access to people in that casual way. And I didn't get to overhear things. Like I felt like sometimes I'd hear people having a conversation and I'd be like, oh, it's because they don't know about this thing and I can go help them. I can tell them. I'm like, I swear I wasn't eavesdropping, but I totally heard this and I think I can help. Whereas like, that's not something I can do anymore, you know? And I don't get to really see people who are who are off team or like working on different teams than I am, you know, especially now. Sure. So like that, that's a kind of, that that's a bummer. Like there are people that like, you know, I still, you know, I'll still chat with them on Slack, but like, you know, I, I, there are people I miss terribly just being able to like be in a meeting and share like a confused look with them across the room, like that kind of stuff you don't get anymore. And sometimes I just want to, I just want to be like, oh, I'll hear something. And I'm just like, okay, I'll just make a, I'll give myself a look. I don't know. So yeah. it's it's little it's it's little things like that that definitely made a difference in how I do my job. You know, I have to be a little more proactive in a way of like reaching out to people in a way that sometimes feels yucky because it seems really formal and like I don't like being the producer. So it's just like, hey, so how are we coming along with that task? And I'm like, I I just want to die. I don't want to be that person. I mean, I know it's my job and I'm getting paid for it, so I'm going to do it. But, you know, I'd rather just talk to them and understand what they're doing instead of asking somebody to give me a summary of their progress. If they need an advocate, I would like to be able to do that. I'd like to be knowledgeable enough to do that for someone, right? And I think that's more important. If I if I understand their story well enough, then I know where they are, they are in their progress. Yeah. 
No, that's, that's awesome. I think that that's kind of what I was, I was trying to get at, like, and seeing how this new work situation can definitely impact that, you know, if you want to see any more of this sort of work stuff, you can watch the double fine documentary. Uh, and I strongly suggest you should, I, every like manager I run into at work and what I do for work is not games related at all, but I just say, you need to watch the double fine documentary because you're going to relate to you. You'll, you know, that person and that person and that person, you're going to relate to this whole situation. And, um, I think it's extremely useful as a tool, um, as well as just extremely entertaining. I love that you're watching it. I do want to say, I think two player did an amazing job. Six years. It's six thousands of hours of footage and like classy folks over there. I want to know where this all started. I want to know where your enthusiasm for games started. Um, if it was in high school, if it was before, if it was like, oh, it just, I was turned on to it because of my career. Like, like what, what do you have a first memory of, of video games? Or maybe more specifically, do you have a memory of like when you became excited about video games? Yeah, I mean, so I remember at home, we didn't, we never had like a real console. Um, my dad brought home this, I don't even, it was this off brand thing that you just plugged into the TV and all it had was Pong. That's all it had. I don't even think it was called Pong. You just turned it on and your TV screen was black with some dots and bars on it. Right. And that's all it did. And I could have played that forever. But it was also like, I just totally lied. I couldn't play it forever. I did try and play it forever. And at some point <laughs> I was just like, this is enough. But <laughs> yeah, that was and, only so much. <laughs> yeah. But like, uh, like I was an only child. So like there's like a lot of home time, a lot of alone time. And at one point, my uh, and then like my friends had like Nintendo at, you know, at their house. And I would love going to their house because I was just like, oh, I want to go to her house because, you know, I can play Super Mario with her. But that's that's not a good way to have a friendship back then. Uh, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, she's not the only one who did that. I can't be. <laughs> and um a babysitter that I had, she got me um, the old Game Boy, like the first oh, Game Boy. Right. And I'm like, this bitch is rich. She's just like giving me gifts. And yeah. And so like she gave it to me and it had Tetris on it. And I played that so much. And like what else? And then I would like save up money so that you know, do chores or whatever I could do. And so I could buy more cartridges and stuff like that. So I had a few games then. And yeah, that was great. Also, because like, you know, we were in the car a lot and mm -hmm. it was just like something like, cause I don't know why I would, I would, I would always say I couldn't read books in the car cause they'd make me nauseous, but like looking at this tiny screen apparently was fine for me. So um, that, it, yeah, I was just like, I didn't have a lot of games to play, but I played them a lot and I love them, love them, love them. Did you, did you do the thing in the car where like at night when you're driving, it, you couldn't see the screen at all, but then every Hold now and then the you'd, window? Pass, you'd pass, yeah. And you'd pass under like a street light and you'd go, uh -huh. two seconds. I got, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like I, I like learned to like, I definitely remember like playing and shifting constantly, like knowing to shift my hands and my, and my face yeah. of the screen was like moving with whatever street lights here passing. Exactly. Yeah. So, and you know, it helped cause I lived in a city. So it was always like, you know, there was a, a good amount of light pollution that would help me play. <laughs> oh, the benefits of light pollution. Yeah, no, I, I was out in like suburbia and in the, in, you know, hills and stuff. And I would like nights with a full moon, 
be like, ooh, there might be enough light here where I can just like <laughs> play with the moonlight. Barely. Yeah. That was some like when they started making the accessories that you could clamp on that had the oh, light. God. And I was just like, and it just started getting ridiculous. And I'm like, how many batteries do I need on me at all times? Yeah. It was a lot. And yeah, and then I had to save up money so I could have batteries all the time too. But so that like actually served me a lot. And I don't think I, I had a break where I wasn't playing a lot during high school because I had high school stuff to do. And um, it was like after it was like after high school, I started like, you know, I moved out of my house and well, out of my parents place. And, um, you know, I had roommates and I think I was working at a bar one time and uh, me and my friend were talking about like we were at the pizza spot and we didn't have quarters and we just wanted to play more Mortal Kombat and all and all this and um there was some we were doing i think we were doing coat check and somebody was just like hey i have an n64 and i'm totally not playing it do you want it and i'm like yeah so he gave me this n64 and like a shoebox <laughs> of all these games and i'm just like i've oh hit the jackpot this is amazing and then later like somebody else was just like oh i heard you like games i have a ps2 that i never play it but do you want it and i'm just like i am the luckiest person in the world <laughs> you get and- you were given you were gifted a game boy you were given a nintendo 64 you were given a ps2 yeah ah <laughs> my like childhood envy is like i never out right now i never would have been able to like afford any of these things on my own so i i, just, I, I will never say no to anything <laughs> like, that's so, me now as i collect old stuff i'm like just give me your old if you got old games i'll take them yeah. nobody has any old games around anymore and they want them now because they're kind of worth money but i whatever. i actually gave my that n64 and that box of games to a friend of mine who uh they made themselves like an arcade basement. They have all these pinball machines and all the game. They're like, we have everything except an N64. And I'm like, here you go. And they're like, do you have Conker's Bad Fur Day? I'm like, you know, I do. <laughs> Such a noble, selfless thing for you to do. I'm, I'm so happy you did that. I'm glad I got to give it to people who I know use it, you know, because it wasn't, um, I can't just, I couldn't keep moving with uh, like, a 27 inch CRT TV. Like right. <laughs> sure. I Good keep point. Doing that. So, um, yeah, so I just got to, I felt like I had all this catching up to do like, cause I didn't play like through high school and I didn't play, like I had like just years and years. And so like so many games I hadn't played. So I was just like, well, I have to make up for this play games all the time now. And, um, and then I got the job at harmonics yeah, how did that happen? Uh, so I was um, doing a lot of odd jobs and working at clubs and retail and all this stuff because, like, I wanted, uh, like, I wanted to be a career musician. I wanted to be a singer, and that so I had to have a schedule that would make myself available if anything special came along. And uh, the special thing that came along was uh, harmonics uh needed they were making a game amplitude and they needed like local people to help like contribute to the soundtrack and so uh they found me somehow and uh well 
they didn't come looking for me. Like my friend was just like, this guy like gave me his business card. Like he seemed okay. And I'm like, yeah, okay. I'll call him. Like, I don't, don't say no to anything. Right. So, um, yeah. So I called them in. I ended up, uh, uh, one song that I wrote with them ended up shipping on the game called cool baby. Um, and that was so much fun because, okay, I got to write that in the point of view of, um, I wanted to sound like you're playing a game and the video game was telling you how cool you are. <laughs> That's awesome. That, every game needs that, I think. So um, after that, they told me they were working on a karaoke game. And so, you know, I was kind of like, do you need someone to sing all day? I'll happily <laughs> sing all day long for minimum wage. And they're like, minimum wage it is. But, <laughs> but like they had this like library of all these games. And I'm just like, I can borrow these. And I would just, you know, I would just never bring them back. Either. No, I, I brought them back sometimes. But it was just nice, to, like, just to have access to games. Like I would have just tested karaoke revolution for free just for access to games so you're qaing karaoke revolution is that correct yes were you singing all day is that was that your job i mean yeah i know there's a lot involved in qa but like was was it like your core thing like just sing and make sure it works yep wow all right it was fun it was fun, but um, something about making music games that I don't know if anyone has told you, um, early on when you're making a music game, uh, you don't have a lot of songs and, okay. you know, you're kind of tied to the licensing and what's available. And if I remember correctly, the songs that we had in the beginning were uh, Share Believe. Avril Lavigne Complicated. Okay. Dust in the Wind, I think, was one of them. <laughs> it wasn't um, a lot of a lot of songs. The fact that you remember these and it was a while ago uh, is a signal to me that, yes, that you <laughs> that it is like Trauma. seared in your mind. Yeah. And that's all you had going on at work all that's, day. Yeah. I mean, it was it, it was a part time job. <laughs> so, um so, you know, it wasn't like 40 hours a week doing this, but, you know, I was trying to get like 20, trying to yeah. get like 20 hours in. All right. But this is your first foot in the, no, no, I'm sorry. Not your first foot in the door, but I guess second your sec foot. second ish foot. And yeah. yeah. You got it's two feet knee. in the, yeah, yeah, you got both feet in the door now at this yeah. point with video games. Video games have become now a part of your professional life. Yeah. And That's even back cool. then when people are just like, oh, what do you what are you doing? And I'm just like, I'm going to go work on a video game. And everyone's just like, that's so cool. And I'm like, I know. So like, I've never, ever been like, oh, there's, I'm very proud to be like somebody who gets to make video games. Yeah, it's awesome. And from there you pivot into production. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Gotcha. At harmonics? Yes. What was it like there? You told us, you, t you know, you told me a bit about what production is like a double fine, but, but how was it different from harmonics? If you can say, I mean, so when they're like, Oh, do you want to try production? I was like, sure. And like, I didn't know what that meant. And I didn't ask. I just, I don't like, I didn't even know what QA stood for when I started. I was just like, you know, I'm just going to show up, punch in and do the best that I can do, which I think, um, 
So for production, that actually worked out. <laughs> kind of like, I mean, you just like walk around and you're like, what's happening? And you're like, oh, yeah. okay, all I have to do is figure out what's happening. Perfect. That's what, all I was trying to do anyways. So, I mean, it was a little bit different. I mean, so harmonics was um, a similar size to Double Fine. Mm-hmm. Like when I started at harmonics, it was a very small company, like 30 people maybe. And um, because it was like before Guitar Hero. Oh, wow. Yeah, sure. And one of the first projects I worked on as a producer was on Rock Band. Mm -hmm. And um, and it was, you know, they're all like music based games and stuff. But so there's always like the element of, you know, you have to kind of understand a little bit about music licensing. Not not a lot like I can't do it, but. Like you have to understand how that impacts a schedule and what that means when you're trying to make something. And like, you know how it was a good place for me to learn, like learning from QA because because at first I was just singing, but then I stayed on and then eventually I was a QA lead. So I started like learning about like what what all the disciplines do, because then at some point, like I wanted to know enough. So if I found a bug, I could be like, oh, maybe it's because this happened and I can go talk to people and try and figure it out more because things were a little less sophisticated. Like when I started, we would write bugs down on paper and hand them to my lead because uh, only the lead had uh, access to the bug database and would make sure dupes weren't going in. And then like, yeah, everything was, that's how long ago it was. Yeah. So you, had, you could legitimately have like a dog ate my bug sort of situation. Like you Absolutely. Lose, lose the paper. Wow. Yeah. That's, That's wild. Yeah. I could spill my beer on, on a bug and just completely lose all the repro steps and destroy the future of the company. But, um, <laughs> can you imagine? Yes, I can actually. <laughs> so, a very Homer Simpson situation right there. Yeah. So... You know, I just I I had a lot of, you know, time and motivation to go and talk to people and learn about stuff because I didn't actually have like a computer of my own to sit in front of. Like I'm just yeah. sitting in front of a, a TV with a PlayStation <laughs> dev kit, test kit. So and singing like Avril Lavigne for like the 5000th time. I'm like, I got to get up and meet some people. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, you know, by the time we were. I was doing production and stuff like because it was a small team. I got to like, you know, I got to learn little by little, meet people and ask them like, oh, what is it that you do and how do you do this and stuff like that. So it was a really nice introduction into actual like the full range of game development for me because I had people who are very patient. Also, also um, people like to talk about themselves. Like if you it's. It's like even the shyest person, like if you take an interest in what they're doing and you ask them questions, like if it comes from a genuine place, it will make people happy, especially, you know, you're just like, no, really, what is it, what is it that you do? Like, look at me. I can't stop talking about myself. I love it. But- I was just going to say, <laughs> like right now, this is perfect. Yeah, this is this is going great for me. I don't know about you, but. You know, that's it's one of the things where it's just like if you have a genuine interest, then it then it is actually uh, quite easy and educational to have yeah. a lot of these conversations at work. So. So, yeah, it was similar where it's just like, you know, what's happening? What does the team need? What you know, w- what am I doing? 
I wanted to touch on something with uh, your, so actually regarding your, your music background. I know there's a breakout movie, um, the game jam exercise called Amnesia Fortnite that, uh, that Double Fine does. And you got a chance to actually do some music work for one of the Amnesia Fortnite games. Is, was that right? Yeah, that was great. So you, you got to, you swung back into this world all the way from seeing Avril Lavigne day in and day out. <laughs> now you're actually writing music for a game for, uh, for this sort of game jam. Yeah, yeah. So can you talk about that? Like what, what was that experience? Like how did that happen? Well, Amnesia Fortnite's great because it's an opportunity for everybody to do something different. So like, you know, there, there are people who are like, animators making models there are people who are programmers who are making art and then there's me who i'm just like please god do not i do not want to be a producer for two weeks can i be anything else but i can't art or program <laughs> i'm like i i do have this one i can do this one other thing so um and they wanted to uh they wanted to get originally the plan was to get four composers from outside the company but one person uh couldn't do it so um our audio director camden who's a lovely man um who's so supportive of like anything that i do that's like a musical project like he he was just like hey there's there's a spot here do you want to do it so like absolutely and it um uh i don't know how to compose like for a setting like i can right. write you a song like i yeah, I, I, I song yeah so i can i i have only ever had to like think of things in terms of like a four minute piece you know mm -hmm. three four minutes is too long i try and cut them down to like two and a half if possible doesn't matter but like for something that plays in the background for extended period of time while games going on so something that like how do i add and not distract and you know like that kind of thinking i wasn't used to doing and also, it is, I can't start first. I need to see what they have and kind of react to it. So I missed the first few days because it was my birthday. So I'm just like, I'm going to go paint my apartment and throw my back out. Um, that's my 40th birthday for you. And yeah, and it was super, it's super fun, but it's so, it, it was so stressful. And that is like a self-imposed stress kind of, because I was just yeah. like, oh man, I I never get to do this and I want to do a good job, you know, and I don't want to let this person, like uh, I was on Lizette's team and I was just like, oh, she had such a cool idea. I just want to make sure I do it justice, you know, which is kind of like, I don't know how people, I'm glad I got to do that because I needed the reminder of how hard it is to create content for games you know mm -hmm. because like i don't have to make anything that goes in the games i just have to be nice to everybody who does but it was just like it's nice to get like knocked in the face and being like oh that's the kind of stress that they're under this is the kind of pressure where like you're making something and it does and doesn't represent you at the same time like it's your skill you want to contribute you want to make something that's like this unified vision with everyone you want to contribute to it and you know you want everyone to be happy with your work but at the same time, it's not about you. Right. So like, you know, it was a really good reminder for me to, to me to have that experience. That's an interesting way to, to just think about games in general that, you know, I, I do think of them as, as art. I think there are a lot of things. I think they're entertainment. I think they are art and they are made of art. Um, right. And mm -hmm. I think that's lost on a lot going back to what we were talking about before about, you know, why people have this sort of, you know, negative 
uh, reaction to the word video games or or video games in general, and they aren't sure of what actually goes into a game. They don't, they're not aware of all the art and the music and the engineering and, you know, the writing that, that these are comprised of. It's almost like everything rolled into one. There are aspects of film, there are aspects of writing or books and novels and story. And, um, it's almost like a, a, you know, conglomeration of all the different types of arts that are out there. And I think it, it can be lost on people. I am curious from especially from a producer since you see all the disciplines and interact with all the disciplines like what is it that you think makes video games i guess special maybe that's what i'm trying to ask oh yeah i mean there's the obvious answer right that like we talked about earlier where it's like having the controller in your hand and having you know being able to like really fully like physically engage also with your mind and your eyes and your ears and it's just it's very like i really cringe at the word like immersive but you know it's like a whole thing you know you're it takes a lot more like of your attention span than something else you know like i'm not gonna look at my phone while i'm playing a video game I mean, I have, but you know what I mean? You know, you're right, more sure. fully occupied. And I think that that's something that's special. Um, the other thing I would say, though, is, and it's not even unique to video games, though. It's just, it's anything. And this goes with, like, movies and TV shows have this in common. Um, and, like, it's a group of people who are very good at what they do, you know? designers and stuff like you know some people might think that designers are just like idea people and how hard it could it be because I have ideas too you know but it's just like no it's not that they have like they have their craft they read and they consider and they consume and they and you know they know they have hard skills many of them have backgrounds in engineering and and you know programming and stuff like that right and for artists art art is extraordinarily technical especially now and it's going to become even more technically demanding and like these are people who like have spent countless hours like honing their craft and it's everybody working together to make like this one piece right and like that's definitely something with that hopefully gets like amplified with like the writer's strike happening like you need all these people to make this one thing and you need to treat all these people well (laughs) um so that you can continue to provide people with like quality entertainment Right? Yeah. So that's what bums me out when I see that people don't really have a respect for video games because it's like it's like these are people who who make sure that they're always not everyone, but like a lot of them, like they're always learning because like if you get stale in your knowledge, you can't keep up with what's happening because things are evolving so quickly, you know, like culturally and technologically and stuff like these are people who just keep learning and they you have to keep their mind open so that you can continue to offer something new and something fresh and a different perspective or new experience and stuff like that. And I think I think that desire to give that to people does translate a lot when you're playing a game. Sometimes I play a game and I was just like, oh, I bet they felt really good when they came up with this. <laughs> I like somebody's real proud of themselves and I'm just like, good. Good. I hope a whole bunch of people went and had beers and patted each other on the back because this was cool. See, that's such a that's a perspective that I think a lot of people will. You know, there's a lot of people who never have that perspective because they don't see what goes into it, right? Um, but the fact that you can you can now play games and and have that insight of like, oh yeah, that's 
that was tough. Um, that, that four seconds or whatever it was, that transition or that effect or whatever happened to be that mechanic, like I, that, that's, you know, there's probably unreal amount of time put into that. I guess I miss being in an office because like I miss a high five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 It's easy for folks who, who love video games to talk about it and be enthusiastic about it and pay attention to it. But I think it's, it is sort of that outsider's perspective that I would love to kind of like tell people, this is why this is important to people. And not that it's a niche medium anymore, but I think there is an element of like trying to explain this to folks that this isn't just like this. Yes, it makes a ton of money. It's huge, big business, but it's not all like shooty, shooty games or, you know, candy crush in your pocket all day. Like there's more to this uh, that that is interesting. So can we, can we talk about this for like another second? Yes, please. um, Just as far as like games as like, a medium, right? It is endlessly fascinating and frustrating to me that like, it's still like, it's niche, but it's not niche. But the people who don't get it have such a disdain for it. Yes. You know, such a distaste for it. And to the point where like, actually, like, when I hear somebody talk about and they're like, oh, gamers and games and stuff. And I'm like, oh, my God, you think less of us because for some reason. And I don't understand it because I'm I'm just like there are people who just don't like movies, you know, but you're not like, ew, movies. I mean, I have met I have run into people who are just like, I don't even own a television. And I'm just like, I'm sorry, you're you are missing out because TV is awesome. But <laughs> so much good stuff yeah so and like i feel that way about video games like just like you don't get it that's fine you don't like it but it's just like it comes with such i don't i i don't know what to say except like people just like look down on it if they don't get it and that makes me really sad because i understand it's not for everybody but i try and explain anime to people because i feel like anime gets a similar rap yeah i would agree with that the spectrum of storytelling and creativity that you can get from because it's like not chained by just other standards of television right it's like there's so much freedom in that and i feel like games have that too just because the tech allows you to do so much and because there aren't it's it's not there aren't standards of storytelling that are hundreds of years old there everyone's trying something new everybody wants to be different everyone you know it's I feel pretty confident if I try a game that I'm just like, I'm probably going to run into something that's going to be a new concept for me. And that's really exciting. That is such a good point. I was chatting with somebody who um, we were talking about like our relationship with games. And there is that element of like what you just said. I'm going to, I know I'm going to experience something in this I've never experienced in my life. And it's going to be novel and, and exciting, even if it's just for a moment. And I find that that happens w- almost with every single game I play, whether it's good or bad, I'm going to, going to find something that's like, th- that's an amazing idea, or I can't believe you leveraged the technology that way, or that art style is something I've never seen before. There's just so much happening all at once that it's inevitable that you're going to come across these, these moments that are just, again, these novel experiences. At our age too, maybe that's even different. Like I'm, I'm in my late thirties at this point, um, and I feel like, certainly haven't experienced everything, but there's, you, as you get older, you, you know, things become less novel. You, you feel like you've seen things already and you, you know what to expect and things are become less exciting at some point. But with games, I'd never feel that that's the case. I know that I'm always going to experience something new and something exciting in the, in that, in that world. 
Yeah, it's like you know, sometimes you have to work for it, but sure, <laughs> but you know it's so yeah. Games are nice because you got a good shot at being surprised. Yeah, and I should clarify too, so that if I offended anybody who's like, again, no movies can do that and books can do that. They certainly can. I read plenty of books that I'm like, wow, that's this style of prose is amazing, or they're talking about some you know concepts that are very you know, not something that I have ever experienced before, or this book is making me feel a certain way and I wouldn't, or I'm disassociating or I wouldn't necessarily feel that way in another medium, which I think is, is very cool. But I think with games and agency comes up a lot on this podcast with folks, I feel like the fact that you can touch and maneuver and, and, and manipulate a game in certain ways, even linear games, you, you, you have some level of control or agency that is part of that experience, that wonder that, that like new concept, Oh, this new thing that, that you've never experienced before and you're the one that's actually doing it in some cases that that could be part of it. Yeah. Video games just happen to offer something that I'm really interested, you know, that I'm in the market for, but, um, and I don't understand why people look down on it so much sometimes, you know, like I remember like going to like a conference or something or it's come up in other contexts too, where people have been like, Oh, do you think people don't respect video games? Cause they're called video games. And I'm just like, I I guess, but it's not the silliest word out there. Movies. I mean, I guess you know we could call it cinema and film and stuff, but I'm, it's it's a movie. You know, it's just one of those things where I'm just like, oh, I'll take podcast. Come on, podcast is not the most sophisticated. Not, no. <laughs> Yeah, Yeah. well, I guess yeah. Podcast. Uh, What is this thing? It's an iPod. What are we going to put on it? Like. Broadcast? A cast. <laughs> broadcast. Yeah. Um, and we can take podcasts seriously. And like, and it's okay. You know, the people who love it, love it. And there are great communities around it. And I'm, I, I feel very fortunate that I can contribute at all. Yeah. We, I definitely share that, that feeling of like, when I talk about my enthusiasm for video games or I have a video game podcast, like I always have this reservation when I say it, there's like this, uh, like I sort of stutter and stumble into that conversation. Um, trying to find the most like captivating way to tell them what it is that I enjoy because I'm trying to skirt around that like stigma. Mm. You work in games. It's a completely different thing. And when somebody asks you, what do you do? Like, is that a source of anxiety for you when you tell people that, or do you have any sort of like reservation when somebody asks you what what it is that you, you do for a living? Oh no, no. I love telling people. That's awesome. I love telling people, you know how much free shit I've gotten by just being like, <laughs> I work in video games and like, especially like dudes, they're like, wow, that's cool. What have you worked on? And I tell them and they're just like, oh my God, that's so awesome. Did you do this? Do you do that? The harder part is when I tell people that I'm a producer because people are like, what's that? Does that mean you're a programmer? I'm like, no, I would have said I was a programmer. I don't have any hard skills. <laughs> like, I, So yeah, I mean, it does get difficult to explain like to my mom for example, Uh right? So one time my mom said that she saw somebody in her building wearing a PlayStation t-shirt and she's like, is that what you do? Which is really adorable. And, um, and I was trying to explain to her the difference between like making a game versus like a console. Right. And like, so I was like, mom, you know, like when you watch DVDs, you know, you have the DVD player and you have the DVD and I'm just like, so please, PlayStation is like the DVD player and I make the DVDs. So now when people ask her what her daughter does, she tells everyone that her daughter makes DVDs and 
it's it's fine <laughs> it's adorable it's closer it's close that enough works. it's close enough but that's great you don't have that that sort of you know there's a pride to it you're you're proud of what you do and and sharing that is i think that's freaking awesome that you don't have any reservation about it yeah absolutely not i it's want great. i i think that makes me cool and that's so no, silly it does, for sure <laughs> And so silly, but like, you know, if you told like high school me, like you're going to grow up and make video games, it'd be like, that's awesome. Cause I can't even afford video games right now. <laughs> like, I don't want to gloss over this. And we, we, we talked about it a couple of times, but again, truly the, the goal of this is to figure out why, why people care. And I, and from what I'm hearing from you several times, and they could, you could be, say something else here too, if you want, but, um, is sort of about that newness, that new experience, that new, that sort of innovation that, that, that happens with games. And that might be a reason why you care about it. But if that's not maybe point blank, like why do you care about video games? I, I guess I have one more answer that you may or may not want to use. I don't, I don't know. Keep um, going. All of it. Yes. I don't so, know. It depends on what you say. No. So like <laughs> new and exciting. Yes, please. I hate being bored. Boredom is going to be the destruction of all humanity. Like, please just, I just don't want to be bored. So that's why I think video games are important. But I also like everything that you do in life. It just is like for work and interacting with people. Like it's so easy to fuck it up. And just do something wrong. And like, I'm not afraid of doing, you know, making mistakes or doing things wrong. But it's like, but it sometimes I just don't want the responsibility or <laughs> of having to deal with what I've done or accountability. And video games let me be an unhinged jerk with no con. And I'm not even talking about like, like unseen trolling people online kind of stuff. I'm just like, I just want to make some bad choices in my single player game, just because that seems like the most interesting thing for me right now. And these are like risks that I can't take in like real life. Where I'm just like, yes, I will go with you down that corner. That sounds that sounds like a great idea. Or like if somebody's really nice, like a villager's really nice, and they're like, hey, do you want to do something with me? No, I don't go away. <laughs> like, it's just, it's, it's a nice release to just be like, I don't have to be on my best behavior. Yeah. I don't have to, it, it just, you know, like, how is, how is this unfeeling thing going to deal with me on this day? <laughs> and, um, you know how, okay. So this is because I worked on like rock band and dance central and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, something people used to always say was like, oh, but it would be so much better if you could really learn how to play guitar. And I'm like, you think that, but, and like, you know, eventually like harmonics did. And there are other companies that have made games where, you know, you can learn how to play guitar and it's just like, uh, yeah, you can kind of learn how to play drums. You're not really going to learn how to sing, but it is a one-to-one that that is what you're doing. Right. But it's like right. a lot of people who don't play games or get games like, really don't understand why it can't be an educational experience. And I don't understand why that standard just is only applied to, to video games, yeah. you know, like, that's true. Like how many TV shows have I watched about like cooking? I don't cook. I, you know, like I don't, 
you know, like everything doesn't have to be like educational or like edutainment. And I don't know why video games like people like see less value because it doesn't do that. Right. And like, yeah, I don't know how to I'm I'm going to go shoot people in no way. Do I know how to shoot a gun? I don't know how to drive a cart or (laughs) a Mario Kart. Yeah, (laughs) a cart. I don't know how to do any of these things. I don't know how to play soccer. I don't know. Like, I don't know how to do anything. And like video games, not only let me pretend like I do, I can either pretend I could pretend and have my fantasy that I can do them well, or I can just enjoy being horrible at it. And no one's going to make fun of me or some people might encourage me. And it's just like that is so it's an important thing for me to have just being able to like just not take something seriously or take a risk that is not going to have a significant cost in life. I don't know if I could say it any better, but future. I want to, the, the last question I have for you is the future of games. You have, again, you have a different perspective than than I do. Um, and maybe you don't have a, a solid answer here. Nobody's going to have a great answer because none of us can predict the future. We're not Nostradamus or whatever. Um, but seeing what you see day in, day out, what the team is working on, um, games that you're even playing, what are what is something that excites you about the future of games? Oh, <sighs> So I think if you asked me a few years ago, right, it would be that I was seeing like so many remakes or like reboots and remakes coming because like Mm -hmm. that is just like scratching all my nostalgia, you know, and it's it's you know, it's what I want. I want like new shiny versions of things that I'm familiar that I have like, you know, attachments to and I love very much like give me more Kirby. I want more Kirby. And like, you know, so all of all of that is just wonderful that does nothing for the future of games, but I don't, it's one of those things where like a future of games, I don't think about it very much. I, I, I don't know if that sounds silly. Like when it comes to like, cause essentially you're asking me about the future of technology. Right. And I'm not that person who can give you that answer. I don't know. Whatever they show up with, like we could get into a very complicated conversation about AI right now, which I don't, I should not do. So like, but that aside, like, I don't know. All I know is that video games, like the future is always going to be cool because they're always going to be people who are just just so hungry for whatever new tech is available, whatever new innovation is available. Like this, this is an industry of people who take anything and run with it. And, you know, they're just like, oh, did you see that? Somebody's going to go get really nerdy, look into it, go full face down into it and then come back and be like, all right, let, let's let's do it or let's not, you know, yeah. but it's, it's an industry that does their homework. So somebody's going to champion something. It's not because they're just like, oh, this seems cool with the kids right now. It's like, yeah, there's going to be that. But it's probably because they themselves are really inspired by something. I think you're you're sort of alluding to something I've thought, and I think a lot of people have, have sort of maybe actually tangibly put like studies around this and whatnot. But I think there's something to be said about video games, and I think the other side is pornography end up pushing technology, uh, and mm. they have. That's sort of like a there's a truth behind that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
a big truth behind that. I think growing up with video games, you can definitely see that where it's like you, every generation pushes the boundaries of what's possible with that, that technology. I think we're in an era now where we're being limited in certain, uh, the technology is being limited in certain environments. Like for instance, like a, maybe this is always true, but like a a PlayStation five, extremely powerful console can do a ton of things, but a, you know, you can build a PC that's much powerful, much more powerful than that right now. There are graphics cards that are, you know, new graphics cards that are coming out that are pushing things beyond what a PS five can do. So maybe, um, I don't know necessarily where I'm going with that, but the fact that we we sort of yearn for that technology, graphics technology and other things because of games in a lot of cases. Maybe that's again, maybe that's changing with AI and blockchain stuff and all that. But but I think it is fascinating that that games have actively, I think, pushed us to where we are in some way, shape, or form. And it sounds like you see that within the industry as well. Like you see that within working in these studios. That that is also true. Yeah. And I also think though, like working within the within limitations has is also really motivating or inspiring for people being like this is all i have and this is all anybody has well you know then what's what's it sometimes it's nice to have some options off the table yeah you know <laughs> like if somebody like you know if like for the amnesia fortnite thing right i'm it's exactly I'm like, where my head went yep i'm like gonna write music for this idea and i'm just like you gotta give me something man i just need any piece of concept art just i just need a color palette just anything just to start off with you know i'm just like because things aren't gonna match and like i don't know i didn't pitch an idea for amnesia fortnite i don't even know where i would start i have a lot of like all the time i'm just like wouldn't it be funny if this video there was a video game that did this but no that's not true and so i don't even know like it's a whole company of people pitching all these crazy ideas and i'm just like um i'm somebody who gets like i I get like frozen if there are too many options okay yeah of course of course same here yeah so like, you know, I, I, I almost thrive with the restrictions being a producer and being like, no, this needs to be done that time. I'm just like, okay, let's see how that happens. Okay. <laughs> that, that works better for me. I don't know what else I have to, is there anything you wanted to, to, to say? I mean, you've, you've said a lot, you've shared a lot. I think this has been a wonderful interview. I think we went down into sort of the depths of work uh, more than I anticipated. Um, and I think that insight is incredibly great. Uh, it's amazing. I think a lot of people are going to take away a lot from that, including myself. Oh, great. I remember nothing that I've said in the past hour. So it's fine. You get to listen to it when it, uh, when it, oh, when no. it goes out. So. That's, it's like the documentary all over again. I'm like, I was there. Oh, no. I'm like, why am I making that face? What did I say? Why did I say that? And then it's one of those things where I'm just like, well, I knew they were there. So if I really, I should have been paying more attention to myself. I'm busy paying attention to everybody else. I need to pay attention to myself. Where can people find more, uh, more Naoko? Oh, oh no. I'm so. (laughs) You're on the spot now. I know. And this is like, this is the most obvious question that you would ask me and it shouldn't, I shouldn't be stumped. I'm, I'm bad at social media. I'm terrible at it. Um, but social media is bad for us. You don't need to worry about that. I'm just bad at it, but I, but I love it. But so Okay, Instagram, I'm Princess Problem Problem because my band is Princess Problems, but Princess Problems was taken. And uh, in Twitter, it's, oh God, it I think it's Naorco, like, like because I, w- I was a half-orc in my D&D game, so it's Naorco. Um, 
that's not helping anyone but yeah <laughs> that's great yeah but i have um you can check out my band that's uh that handsome devil which is rad by the way thank you i, I love it thank I you i think i told you before it's very like there's like an east east coast not east coast there's like a sorry east bay which is like west coast east bay hip-hop sort of vibes uh i don't know that i that i get from from all your work, really. I but, love it. Uh, I need to like, I write down what people say because when people are just like, oh, what's that band? What's your band like? And I'm like, I don't know. It's like, it's like Quentin Tarantino food court is like the closest anyone ever gave me. That's badass. <laughs> I would, that's great. Quentin Tarantino food court is the yeah. genre. <laughs> yep. And so, uh, yeah, check that out. I also, yeah, Princess Problems. But otherwise, Watch the Double Fine documentary. Watch the Double Fine documentary and tell me what you think about it. And you're talking to the two-player guys, right? I am. I'm actually going to do... So I told you that I wanted to just talk to you specifically and Paul specifically. But when Paul said there's another Paul, I was like, I got to have two Pauls on the show. There are so two, there gonna, two Pauls. Thank you for that connection, by the way. Oh, no. I very Absolutely. I... The documentaries, I know you have to go, but the documentary is weird because like, I forget that I'm in it. I'm not in it very much. So it's easy to do that. But I'm just so excited for them because it's like being received so well. So I just like want to help them because it's my friends who made something that's really cool. And I want everybody to know about it. So it's very easy for me to promote the documentary, but like not my bands. It's, it's so weird. I get like really uncomfortable, but I'm just like, everyone should see this documentary. Just ignore me. Just ignore me. But everyone else is really cool. Well, I think everybody should check out everything you're doing, find you on social media, and also watch the documentary. Like I said, all the praise is deserved. The thing's awesome. You're awesome in it. Um, other than that, this has, been, this has been a lovely chat. This has been so much fun. Thank you so much. Thanks again, Teneoko, for joining me on Why Button. Since the recording of this episode, I have finished watching the Psych Odyssey documentary, and one thing I wish I had given Teneoko was a hearty congratulations. Without spoiling anything, just know that she was put into a very critical and tough position towards the end of that project. I can't imagine how stressful yet fulfilling it was. Congrats to Naoko, everyone who was involved in Psychonauts 2, and everyone at Double Fine. I can't wait to play the game. It's just sitting there in my Steam library right now. But there's also Tears of the Kingdom. Oh my god, it's too many games. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. The easiest thing to do is probably to share the website, whybutton.online. It includes links to like all the podcast platforms. If you want to get in touch, feel free to reach out to me at whybuttonpodcast at gmail.com or on Mastodon at whybutton at mastodon.social. You can also find me on Mastodon at kylestar with two R's at mastodon.social. This episode was produced by the wonderful AJ Filari. Our theme song was written by Child Star, who's me, featuring my friend Scott Wilkie. You can find the song on all streaming platforms. Thanks again for listening to Y Button. And remember, when you press Y, ask why. Why?